In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You're advised that any views expressed by the hosts or their guests are not necessarily the views of Tuggy Entertainment or its partners. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. Vivian is here to talk to you, to encourage you, and to show you how she had a successful homeschooling experience with her Wildflower Academy, and that her kids turned out great, and that with God's help, you can create the same experience she did. From her beginnings in Hostert, West Germany, to Dallas, it's been quite a journey, and her abilities to adapt, survive, and thrive are what make her unique in homeschooling. So have your pen and paper ready. It's The Sociable Homeschooler. And now, here's your host, Vivian McNinney. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Good morning and good afternoon. Welcome to the Sociable Homeschooler. My name is Vivian McNenny and I'm going to be bringing you homeschool insights and delights from our household, where God dwells in every nook and cranny of which we have many. Here in McNenny land, life could do with being more ordinary. The speed is picking up as we hurtle towards Easter and the wedding. I'm taking one hour at a time, this one with you. Each week, I encourage a member of the public to join me for part of the show. I offer them tweeting opportunities and other social media goodies, and they come willingly to talk about aspects of family life, which usually relate to homeschooling and always speak straight to the heart of parents who place the responsibility of child-rearing above their highest joy. My guest this week is Kristen Deal from the Catholic Charities in Fort Worth, and we're going to be taking you out of your comfort zone and into the little-known world of slavery and human trafficking in Texas. Yep, you heard right, here in our backyard. And that's my English accent you're hearing, though I've lived in the Lone Star State half my life. I just can't bring myself to say y'all. Today, I'm going to be yabbering on about overdoing the formal teaching and killing the joy. New York, New York, food, entertainment, and fun. So have a sit down, take a sip of your tea or coffee, and join me in a place where we can enjoy our weekly hour together. I had a very interesting conversation last week with my guest. It made me wonder what stuff we Christian homeschoolers are made of. Toughness is what I say. We know that we love God because he first loved us and that we're his children and are thoroughly doted on and looked after by that omnipotent being who created us. Do we forget sometimes when we're in the quicksands of worry and fret over responsibility for our earthly children that they also are his children? Do we behave at times as if there are children hanging on, grasping and suffocating them in the name of raising Do we forget that they're on loan to us and we're stewards, not owners? We are, dare I suggest, to help them become the individuals God created them to be and then to let them go. We're charged to look after them, grow them, love them, and if we homeschool, to educate them. And their will for their well-being, not for ours. But at what cost to the unsuspecting government-bullied faithful mum? Do we sometimes forget the joy of raising our children? Do we turn into the mum who sets her academic bar so high she unabashedly competes with the best private school around the corner to turn out well-read, highly scoring, summa cum laude students time after time 
after time and in the process ends up burning out and losing all the fun, all the enjoyment growing her children can bring. I have a friend who travels around the world with her children in tow, and she says, I am not an unschooler by any stretch of the imagination. I want my children to be able to go to any college they want to, if they want to. She enjoys her life with them as they blaze new trails on their open-ended world tour. Southeast Asia was their textbook for the last 10 months, once they had completed formal learning, four hours a day, four days a week. I suppose the key to her statement lies in the words, if they want to go to college or whatever they want to do. Her lifestyle and methods appear like unschooling to me, but then I'm a bit of a conventionalist. She definitely does not proclaim to be an unschooler. I myself fell foul of the pressures of keeping up appearances, and sometimes it led to an inordinate amount of stress because I didn't want to sit on the sidelines while my children wasted their gifts and talents. We're given free will from God, who doesn't cut us out of the will or freeze our bank accounts if we make a choice that is neither in our best interest, that we may be convinced it is, or his. So why can't we extend that privilege to our children? Because we are practicing loving Christians, after all. A lot of my secular counterparts are able to let go easier than I. They allow their children exploration space and discovery sites guide them, not bully them. Now that I have grown children, and we've all heard those veterans of homeschool education proclaim that in the end they will be all right, they've sent me another round of challenges called keeping my opinions to myself. And as my good friend Jill at Toginet says, a smile on my face. Unless asked point blank, and I'm not talking about a whine or an angry outburst, but a full on, what would you suggest I do do mum. Mum's literally the word. I regard my young adult progeny and totally wonder where we went wrong. Note all of a sudden it's we. How did we not model the path to financial security or at least sensibility? How did we not model the moral lifestyle of fidelity or prove that mammon was a false god by the way we lived out the need not want syndrome? How did we spawn such extreme secular children? I can feel the cane beating me up. Too much God, too much discipline. But to hear them tell it, they wouldn't change anything about homeschooling or their childhoods. The fiercest thing I seem to have done was not to allow formal school in their bedrooms. They looked forward to the routine of prayers and school in whatever form it took, cooking and enjoying activities that cost nothing in terms of money, saving and waiting for a wanted item. Suddenly, as they grow closer to independence from us, our lifestyle and from their saviour, there's no time to abide by a budget or to make carefully informed decisions or to pray. How did those lessons fall by the wayside? Plug God in and the rest of life will come alive. Instant gratification is for now, not the future. Waste not, want not. Have you noticed that the world has a death grip on our young people? They're encouraged to spend more and save or to borrow, to pay debt, to buy whatever they want on credit, to have it now and pay later. What happened to putting pencil to paper or stylus to screen? What happened to responsibility? No matter how much, no matter how much fit I feel for my children and the lives they are carving out for themselves, I have to let them go. And I have to allow God to work in his own way on them. 
I do set the correct examples. It's what my children make of them that bothers me. When I was young, I made my own choices too. And as Jennifer Miller, my traveling friend, also says, a choice to do one thing is a choice not to do several other things. If you make your choices well, then there are no wrong choices, just different ones. Perhaps our secular friends do have a better take on life and choices than we do, but why? Steve Richards, my guest last week, had an idea. For the most part, secular home-based learners in Britain are making a decision to keep their children out of school because they don't want their children institutionalized. They feel there are better ways for imparting what their children should know than the teacher at the front of the schoolroom lecturing model, as seen in most traditional schools. These parents are keen to let the child lead the way when he is ready. Perhaps unschooling may even be an option. On the other hand, for a Christian home-based learner, the decision is made because of the worldview being offered their children in schools. They want them raised with Christ at the center of all that they do, which is how I wanted to as well. So they're not against institutions or methods per se, rather what is being taught in the schools. With that in mind, Christians may bring the classroom full whack into the home emulating traditional schools, perhaps unconsciously competing with the prime private establishment around the corner. Wow, is the pressure ever very heavily on the mum in these cases? Listen to the words given to Moses in Deuteronomy 6. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments I give to you today are to be put upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Here is an image of a parent or close family member going about his work in a way that shows how he lives his life, really and truly. Nowhere does it mention a classroom or books or chalkboards or lecturing. Nowhere is the Texas phrase, talk at you later. If your children are given the opportunity to walk through your days, they will learn good life skills to prepare them for the academic stress that may show up later on in their lives. As my friend over at Domestic Serenity, Danielle, said, take time for yourself. Take regular breathers through the day. Show your children how you deal with life. Look at life through holistic eyes. If we can't breathe, if we can't enjoy the world God created for us, then how are we ever going to live in it and show our children how to live in it for that? To end, here is a delightful quote from one of the great secular homeschool advocates of our time, John Holt. In his book, The Underachieving School, there is a chapter called Schools Are Bad Places for Kids. And I think you'll find the following passage thought-provoking as you listen to his view of the typical child entering school for his first day of kindergarten. Almost every child on the first day he sets foot in a school building is smarter, more curious, less afraid of what he doesn't know, better at finding and figuring things out, more confident, resourceful, persistent and independent than he will ever again be in his schooling or, unless he is very unusual and lucky, for the rest of his life. Already by paying close attention to and interacting with the world and people around him and without any school-type formal instruction, he's done a task far more difficult, complicated and abstract than anything he'll be asked to do in school or than any of his teachers has done for years. He solved the mystery of language. He's discovered it. Babies don't even know that language exists. He's found out how it works and learned to use it. He's done it by exploring, by experimenting, by developing his own model of the grammar of language, 
by trying it out and seeing whether it works, by gradually changing it and refining it until it does work. Holt observes teaching is something being done to us. Learning is something we do for ourselves. I told my mother years ago when I first started this adventure that I wanted to instill in my children a love of learning. So I taught them how to use resources available to them. My son interviewed for an honours chemistry class at college when he was 16. The professor was obviously impressed by his answer to her question, why do you think you should be in my class? He said, because I love learning. And he was admitted. Enjoy your children. They are hardwired to learn. And I'll be back in just a minute. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Get ready for Wise Up Radio, leveraging your learning, leadership, and legacy with Donna Kimbrand, the edgy evolutionary, Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, here on the Rockstar Radio Network. If you're an entrepreneurial leader or visionary, stay ahead of your game with insights, tools, and strategies that give you the thought leader's edge. Each week, join Donna and her guests as she'll ask the edgy questions, help you discover game-changing shortcuts to better thinking and learning, how to explore the ripple effects of leadership excellence and how to create your life as a living legacy where the legacy you leave is the life you live. As thought leaders, you need strategies to help you enjoy the confidence and thrill of riding the wave of rapid change. For more on Donna, check out her website, GameChangerThinking.com. Then join the conversation and sharpen up your wits on Wise Up Radio with Donna Kimbrand, Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, here on the Rockstar Radio Network. Chances are you didn't give birth to Einstein. So why are you trying to raise your child to be like him? Welcome to Stop Raising Einstein with your host, Tara Kennedy Klein. Woohoo Radio Network's parenting show dedicated to helping you release the myth of the perfect parent and discover the unique brilliance in your child and you. Tara and her panel of amazing, intelligent, and sometimes off-the-wall guests will share the tips, tools, trends, and techniques available that will help you stop raising Einstein and start relishing your role as a proud and present parent. Join her every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Central Standard Time for Stop Raising Einstein, only here on the WooHoo Radio Network. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. I'm pleased to welcome this afternoon a fellow proud Texan, born and raised in Fort Worth, just down the road. Kristen Deal received her Master's in Social Work through the University of Texas at Arlington. She's been married to her husband, Brad, for almost two years now and enjoys hearing his stories of being a middle school teacher. They have one child named Berger, their rescue dog. 
Kristen currently works at Catholic Charities Fort Worth as a case manager and outreach worker, specifically helping refugees and victims of trafficking. She has a passion for combating injustice and giving hope and voice to the vulnerable in her community. Welcome, Kristen, to my show this afternoon. Thank you for having me. Well, Kristen, you have a um, very interesting job for such a young person, I think. So tell me, what drew you to this particular field of social work? You know, that's a good question. The first time I heard about human trafficking was in 2006. I was in Brazil working at an orphanage, Mm -hmm. um, and I had just come to to know that some of these girls had um, been at risk. Some of their mothers were, were in that industry, and it, it really broke my heart um, to, to hear their stories. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, that was the first time I'd ever heard of it. And um, so I started researching it and looking into it, and um, I've really just had a passion for it ever since. So you're talking about Brazil, though, and I know mm-hmm. you just got back from India, mm-hmm. and I know <laughs> this kind of thing happens in Southeast Asia. Um, but you're not, your, your passion is not so much to go to these countries and help, although you have traveled, I know, to India and obviously Brazil, but you're doing it right here in Texas. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, for the average American and Texan, which I consider myself to be, I just think, okay, so what does human trafficking look like in America? Yeah, that's a good question, um, and it actually does happen here. Most people think of the movie Taken, and they think that uh, trafficking happens overseas, that mm-hmm. um, if you're in the United States, you're safe. Mm-hmm. But um, actually, it's estimated that about 14,500 to 17,500 people are trafficked into the United States every year. Um, and in Texas, about 25% of all of the human trafficking victims that are certified are in this state. Um, so it's, it's a major issue going on here. It can be sex trafficking, which is what most people tend to think of, but there's also labor trafficking, which is a, a big portion of, um, of trafficking that's going on in the U.S. Yeah, yeah, I remember during our homeschooling years when I was doing some, um, oh, I don't know, sociology-type um, class with my children, a lot of the itinerant workers in the fields were, were illegal and that back in the 50s or whenever it was would not necessarily have been called human trafficking, but it was, wasn't it, of a, sort of a kind? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that yeah. kind so, of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And labor so trafficking, has, the, the scary ahead. thing is that it can happen, you know, anywhere. It can be in a, a mom-and-pop store. It can be in a, you know, a dry cleaner's restaurant, construction mm-hmm. sites. Um, so, so that's the thing that's kind of tricky about labor trafficking is that it really could be, you know, in any, anywhere. Yeah, any industry, uh, Mm -hmm. small or large. Mm -hmm. So when, now, for example, I've seen something where a massive place, I think it was some kind of fabric um, sweatshop, was shut down in Florida. Would would all of those people probably been trafficked in? Is that is that what you look for when you're looking for human trafficking on a large scale? Those huge sweatshops. Um, that potentially, I'm not familiar with that story specifically, but, um, in Texas, what we do is we have a task force and we work with other organizations in the area. We work with police department, um, investigators. Um, it's really a good collaboration that we have going on so that we can have sting operations. We can, um, look into any calls that go into our hotline to, to investigate if anything is, is happening with trafficking. 
Mm-hmm. Now, trafficking suggests moving from maybe one state to another or one country to another, but uh, um, a victim doesn't have to move in or in, to be trafficked, correct? Yes, I'm so glad you said that. People generally, um, especially in Texas, I feel we get it confused with smuggling. Um, yes. And it's, it's very different from smuggling. It's not a crime of movement, although they may be moved from city to city or state to state. Um, but it's rather, it's more of a, the dehumanizing practice of, of holding someone in compelled service with whatever means necessary. So it could be physical or it could be psychological. But um, it's really that element of consent where someone who's smuggled um, can cross the border and they can they can leave whereas um someone who's being trafficked they they don't want to be in that situation but they they don't know how to leave all right so the word slave comes up Mm -hmm. and you know it sounds like such an archaic word and it sounds like you know the sort of thing that in america we don't have that anymore you know the the slavery has finished Mm -hmm. but it hasn't so can you can you tell us a little bit about how how that comes in. I, I know um, we're talking about the trafficking, but this is such a new thing. It's just such a new concept because it's probably staring us right in our faces and we're just looking much further to abroad and going, it's not, it doesn't happen here in our backyard. So tell us a little bit about the slavery aspect, what, what, what the criteria are. You know, how, how is somebody classified as having been trafficked? Sure, yes. So um, the Emancipation Proclamation, you know, with Abraham Lincoln was quite a while ago. Um, Uh But uh, the Trafficking Victims Protection Act was authorized back in 2001. So this is fairly new um, with our legislation, and we just got reauthorized, uh, I think, for the fourth time um, this month. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's um, continually being being updated. but actually, there are twice as many slaves right now, it's estimated, than in the entire transatlantic slave trade. Um, so it's a very fast-growing crime going on in the United States. Um, it's very, very lucrative, very profitable for these traffickers. Um, so it's, it's, um, it's a big issue, but it's very hidden, which is uh, the scary and the sad part about it. Mm-hmm. Now, it's hidden because most of it is... The sex trade, or is that pretty? Is that just a percentage of lots of other, you know, sort of areas that trafficking pops up? Well, it's it's hidden in the fact that um, most people don't know about trafficking, and so they don't know the signs to look for. They don't know the questions to ask. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the past eighteen months, in our our coalition of North Texas, we've had about one hundred and twenty-one. Um, survivors of human trafficking identified. Um, and that was about, let me see how many we had. It was about 52% sex trafficking and then 43% labor and 5% both. So um, it's about half and half that we're seeing. Um, however, we know that there's more going on. It's just very difficult um, to to have those things and to, to identify what's happening in every um every time that it's going on in in the state so yeah so um i years ago i had somebody in my house working for me i had four children had a full-time job so i needed somebody to kind of help me look after you know Mm -hmm. my children and you know clean my house and that so i went to an agency and i got somebody and as far as i was concerned it was all above board she was legal i paid the agency and hopefully the agency paid her tell me are there situations where somebody like me could unknowingly be employing 
somebody who's being trafficked? That there's potential for that to happen. Um, yes, it's it's more of asking the right questions. You know, asking them if they want to leave. Do they have the freedom to? Um, are they are they getting paid? Um, making sure that they um, are not feeling fear for themselves or fear for their family. Um, mm-hmm. It's really that those questions of you know where are you sleeping? Where are you eating? Um, you know, do you do you have access to your own documents? So if they if they are here legally or illegally, uh, and someone takes their documents from them, um, that's that's a very big red flag that we we look for. Mm-hmm. And also right. a language barrier. Yeah, yeah, because some of these people don't speak very good English, right, you know, right. um, that, that you might have um, coming through what you think might be a legal agency. Or, as you say, some of, some of it is hidden. So if it's a, um, a small family business, then what have they done? Have they brought maybe family members in and are using them as, as labor and not paying them? How, or, or are these strangers maybe that they've brought in? Um, are you talking about who the traffickers are necessarily? No, I'm talking about who's being trafficked at the moment. Say it's a small business, a small like a, a dry cleaners or a laundry. It's a small family business. Would, would that be just all family members who have been brought into America and, you know, sort of they're, they're working for, for their families or not? Um, I mean, it could be. Um, it's really just making sure that they are being paid what they what they deserve, um, that they want to be there. If they have that element of consent, if they if they want to quit, if they want to leave, they can. Um, it's their working living conditions. If they have access to to their documents, um, if they need medical care, they're able to go get that treated. Um, there's mm-hmm. signs like that. Um, All right. So. Some some people who are trafficked, though, are young, right? Mm-hmm. So they wouldn't naturally have necessarily access to their own documents or or that. So, I mean, there are young mm-hmm. people, right, who are, who are trafficked, and those are at high risk as well. Is yes. that right? Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, we're going to go on a break. We've still got a, um, a few minutes. I want to talk more about, um, you know, what's the face of a trafficker and what's the face of somebody being um, who – is trafficked. So human traffic is the use of somebody's um, labor or um, the use of somebody to make profit and that person has no rights whatsoever, correct? Essentially, yes. Yes. I'm just trying to get it clear for, for my listeners. And the, there are a lot of things that they don't have. Now, some of that sounds to me like Abuse. There are these women who are trapped in abusive relationships where they're literally not allowed to leave their homes. Is that the same, or is that something different? Um, it, it could be. It could be overlapping. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah. what what you're looking for is, and they could be an abusive relationship where, um, and oftentimes that where that's where it starts is mm-hmm. with um, these these traffickers who recruit these women, and um, they all, they have this this sense of love and loyalty to their trafficker. Um, okay. But it's, it's really to the point where they um, are not being paid what they, what they should be. They, they cannot leave if they want to. Um, and, you know, it's certain standards that we feel we should have as yeah. humans. All right. Well, we have to go on a short break now, but we'll be back after a few moments uh, to continue our conversation. So don't go far.
How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Information about book publishing is power. The power to change your authoring life and the power to change the lives of your readers. So join us for Your Guide to Book Publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. With your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. Thursdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 Pacific on the Rockstar Radio Network. We'll hear about statistics, scenarios, and strategies on what to do now. As the book shepherd, Dr. Judith Bryles is in. And each week, she will include publishing professionals that will reveal tips and secrets to the author's journey. If there is a book in you, you want to listen, learn, and yes, call in with your questions each week. For more on Judith and what she can do for you, check out her website, thebookshepherd.com. It's your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. Brought to you by Author You and The Book Shepherd. With your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. Thursday evenings at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. On the Rockstar Radio Network. Radio Network presents the Diva Download with Tracy and Tasha. If you think Diva is all about attitude and drama, think again. The Diva Download is the premier online radio program where girls of all ages, shapes, sizes, and colors get together to redefine what it means to be a diva so that all girls can discover their inner diva and develop a healthy sense of self-worth and self-esteem. Being a true diva means you're diverse. Involved, value-driven, and active. That's today's diva. If you want to celebrate the girl in your life through education, encouragement, empowerment, and entertainment, join us every week on Tuesdays from 6 to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time and celebrate the essence of being a girl only here on the WooHoo Radio Network. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. I'm talking to Kristen Deal. She works for Catholic Charities in Fort Worth, um, specifically um, in the field of refugees and human trafficking here in our in our state. Um, and I'd, I want to talk about the two aspects, the, the sex aspect and the labor aspect. But first off, let's do the labor because that, to me, seems a little bit... Um, I, I can... I, you know, I can't, ha- I can't get a grasp on the labor. Where would we see trafficked people in our daily work, for example, would we? Sure, yes. Uh, well, truthfully, it could be anywhere, and that's what makes it so difficult. But what we've seen um, most often is domestic servitude, which is very difficult because sometimes even neighbors don't know that that person is living there, that victim is there. Um, so that's very difficult. But there's agricultural so, work. Um, so tell us about what, what, what do you mean by domestic servitude? What do you mean by that? That's where typically um, they have somebody living in their home who may be um, – taking care of the children, taking care of the house, doing basically their personal slave in their home. Um, and okay. We've had cases of those. But somebody living with them, mm-hmm. not somebody that's exactly. going and living somewhere. Well, it could be somebody who's going and living somewhere else. You know, I talked about my scenario. Mm-hmm. So it could, it would, 
be less obvious if that person was living with them because maybe they wouldn't be leaving the house so much. And Yes, is that right? Yes, yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, they may not know the language. They may not know um, okay. their rights, things like that. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay, okay. Now we'll go into the agricultural. Okay, yes. Um, so there's, you know, there's a few other places that we've seen most often. It's agricultural restaurants, um, construction sites, dry cleaners, places like that. We've had um, a number of cases. However, we acknowledge that uh, it, it really could happen anywhere where money can be made by exploiting somebody. Exploiting. That's the word, isn't it? Mm-hmm. By uh, getting somebody in using cheap labor. We know, you know, we know that word too. What they can make here in America, no matter how small it is, is a lot of money to them. And so people can get away with not paying the right amount of money, correct? Yes. 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 Uh, we had a case of a, a woman, this happened a couple of years ago, that she lived in, in a home with um, a couple and she was paid three hundred dollars over eight years oh, wow. um, so that was that was all that she was given yeah yeah all right so you've got you've got this situation and there are a lot of people that do live uh, live in you know nannies or work in a restaurant situation or work in a, a laundry or sewing or whatever mm-hmm. and may not get paid very well to do that but they can leave that job if they want to Mm-hmm. So what you're saying about the exploitation, the trafficking, they cannot leave. They don't have that freedom to go and find another job. Correct. And what we look for uh, with prosecution is an element of force, fraud, or coercion. Okay. So force can be physical. Um, it can be beating someone, actually constraining them with chains or anything like that. Fraud is um, where we see that they may have false um, or deceptive offers. They say, come come to the United States and we'll get you a job as a waitress. And, mm-hmm. and they come over and quickly find that's not, that's not the case. Mm-hmm. Um, and the coercion is those threats of, of harm to, to that victim or to their family. Yeah, or to their families. All right, so then that's the, that's the sex trade that's, that's going on. Now, there's a lot. I mean, I, I think about what you're saying and what I've, I've read, and I think, well, what's the difference then between a prostitute and her pimp? Isn't that trafficking of sorts? Or because she's not, she probably is frightened to leave and, and you know, sort of stop doing what she's doing. Yes, and uh, there there are prostitutes that are are not being trafficked, um, and and I admit that. But there are women who this isn't something that they want to do. This isn't something that they uh, feel that they can get out of, though, um, okay. for for whatever reason. And, um, and so they would be considered trafficked. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. So a prostitute has that element of consent that we've been talking about. They have that freedom of movement, freedom to leave. They have the control over their earnings, whereas a trafficked victim may may have no control over their money. It may go straight to their pimp or, or their trafficker. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, you say that there are thousands of people being trafficked into the U.S. every year, mm-hmm. and they don't just come from Southeast Asia, or these countries like India, they come from Europe too, from Eastern Europe, from what we consider to be Western countries. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, are they being told, you know, come to America, your life will be better? How, how are they encouraged? Because, you know, 
some of these people are sensible, aren't they? Well-educated, perhaps. And, uh, and what, what's, what are they being told? Are they being offered marriage? What, what's happening? To get them sure, sure. I mean, it could very well be marriage. It could be um, an employment. They could say, "Come, come here, and we will get you a good job, and you can send money back to your family back home." And they may not have any other options um, where they live that they feel like they can make enough money to support their family. So they they say they'll come to the United States um, in the hopes of a, of a better life. Mm-hmm. So you, you work with refugees, and I do. Refugees are an at-risk group of people, yes? Yes, they, they would be. Mm-hmm. They would be. And um, is it because they don't speak the language and they really don't know how the American culture works? Because ref- are, are refugees, you, refugees usually haven't been told, um, come to America, we'll get you a job, you have better living conditions. Refugees have left their countries for reasons. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, yes. Through their own free will, and so there's this group of people now in America, and there are traffickers looking out for vulnerable people who, you know, sort of to describe a trafficker. To, you know, dis- describe a, a trafficker. Sure. Well, generally they look for. Uh, typically, they look for a, a future victim that has little or no social safety net. Um, someone okay. who, who may be undocumented. Um, okay. They really look for victims of trauma and abuse in their past, runaway and homeless youth, okay. um, and any, any group that um, is oppressed or um, and vulnerable in some situation that they could take advantage of them. Mm-hmm. And the age, I mean, is there a particular age or could it be anybody? It really could be anyone, any age, any sex, any gender. Um, it, they could be U.S. citizens or foreign um, nationals, but the majority are under the age of 35. Okay. And the majority are female. Okay. And some of them are under 18? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Okay. There's a video that you show, um, I, because I, I went to a presentation um, a few a couple of months ago, I suppose, where you're, where, where um, there's this small town now um, somewhere in Southeast Asia, and they, they say that the, the number of people that come in and um, sort of buy these young people for sex, I suppose, are uh, mostly Americans. And that was pretty disgusting. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, the, the, we as a culture, certain, well, I mean, I suppose these are wealthy businessmen, I suppose, on their business trips um, are, are um, I don't know, keeping, keeping the business going. Mm-hmm. And how, that's, how, that's, that's it right there that you just said. It's, it's very sickening. And, it, and I think until men um, stop viewing women as objects, um, whether that's through pornography or through, um, through what they have been told or raised, and until women find their value and worth, I really think that this is going to, to keep happening, unfortunately, until there are uh, no more buyers. Um, mm-hmm. That demand and the supply are just going to continue. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, well, okay. So as a group there at Catholic Charities, what are you doing? Because we, what we talked about at first is that, you know, we're identifying what is trafficking, who are the, who are the trafficked, who are the traffickers. Mm-hmm. And that seems that surface almost, because that's what we can see. Um, some of it is, some of it is hidden, but that's what you can, you can unearth and look at. But it goes deeper, as you said, you know, we, we need to educate 
you need to educate men. We need to educate the women. We need to educate, you know, different parts of society. Mm-hmm. How are you approaching that there at Catholic Charities? Sure. Well, we we focus on a lot of outreach efforts um, to to educate our community on what's going on in in our backyards, um, and then we also do case management whenever victims are identified. Um, we're able to assess their needs and and work with them so that they can become self sufficient and start that healing process. Mm-hmm. Now you say the government, it's only been since 2001 that you've mm-hmm. got this act um, for human trafficking. So the government is now involved. Do you think these numbers are a little low? Do you think these numbers are accurate, the 14,500 to 17,500 coming into the U.S.? Well, I I think it's very difficult to put a precise number because, like we what, like we've been saying, it's um, very hidden. Mm-hmm. So this is this is really just kind of an estimate on based on what um, what they've discovered, any cases that they've heard of. But truly, um, it's very hard to say. The, the UN says that 99% of victims are never rescued. So mm-hmm. we're we're not really sure on an exact number. And I know most people like to have that quantitative data um, to, to say what kind of an issue is going on, but um, truly it's, it's such a hidden crime that it's, it's hard to, to put a number on it. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so um, as far as education goes, it's got to just be more, you know, as I said, I was surprised that trafficking occurred here, right here in Texas, right here in my city, Dallas, and your Mm -hmm. city, Fort Worth. So obviously there has to be much more um, publicity out there. And um, these these small communities of of refugees need to be aware, and and obviously that's what you're doing, You're, you're making them aware. As a mother, should I be concerned about my daughter's you know, what, what are you telling, what, what would you say to a mom who's got teenage girls maybe who might, who might enjoy going to a big event somewhere? Mm-hmm. Um, well, what I will say is that these, these traffickers operate in an environment of low risk when the community is not aware. So the big key yeah. is, is being aware that it is happening um, and that, that's reality. Um, but knowing signs to look for, um, being aware of your child's friends, especially online, um, knowing where they're going and making sure that you are just giving them love um, and being aware of where they're going, what they're doing. Kristen, we'll be back in just a moment. Can you come back for about five sure, minutes? Sure. All right. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. If you're ready for a big change in your work, your career, your happiness, your life, it's time for the Million Dollar Mindset with Marla Tabaka. Monday afternoons at 2, 1 central on Toginet.com. Marla believes that with the right mindset, anything is possible. Join us as successful life coach Marla Tabaka inspires you and her clients to explore, discover, and live your dreams by developing what she calls the Million Dollar Mindset. Marla will inspire you to take action on your dreams and reveal secrets to success that will help you realize your own unique power. Tune into the Million Dollar Mindset for heartwarming stories with Marla Tabaka. Learn tips and tricks to building a successful business and unlock the secrets to creating a happier, more balanced life through abundant thinking and attraction 
Power. For more information on the Million Dollar Mindset, go to our website, MarlaTabaka.com. That's M-A-R-L-A-T-A-B-A-K-A.com. It's the Million Dollar Mindset with Marla Tabaka. Monday afternoons at 2, 1 p.m. Central on Toginet.com. In the annals of recorded history, there has never been anything that can compare to home movies. But now, in this modern era, where do you turn for the best information? Right here. It's the Home Movie Legacy Project, hosted by Rhonda Vigent. Wednesdays at 6 p.m. Central here on the Rockstar Radio Network. Learn how to organize, digitize, share on social media, use as genealogy research, repurpose or even monetize found footage. Discover ways to find films about your own family that you didn't even know existed. Or create a documentary that can use the power of home movies to deliver a message that can impact the lives of many. For more on Rhonda and the show, go to our website, homemovielegacy.com. Then be here as the journey continues with the Home Movie Legacy Project with Rhonda Vigent. Wednesdays at 6 p.m. Central here on the Rockstar Radio Network. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. I'm back and I'm talking to Kristen Deal from Catholic Charities in Fort Worth and we're talking about um, human trafficking here in our own cities. And just as we were going on break, Kristen, you were saying that um, we need to be aware of our children's friends and um, what they're doing online and that's that's a key really, isn't it? Because I'm sure that online is a really easy place to <laughs> to attract young, unsuspecting people. Yes, yes, it mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. And go ahead. Um, and I, w- I was just going to say, also, you know, what we we've taught our children um, since they, since they were born is not talking to strangers. Um, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, a big place the traffickers target is the mall. Um, they they go there to to speak to juveniles. Um, yeah, yeah. And so, in essence, can they? I mean, you're, you're saying juveniles. So, if they did manage to coerce, you know, um, or attract a juvenile, I mean, that's almost kidnapping. Mm-hmm. Well, it mm-hmm. is kidnapping. Mm-hmm. It's terrible, yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah, it is. And when we're speaking to schools, we tell them to to look for children who are missing a lot of school and um, are going um, to a lot of different cities over the weekends. Um, you know, if they have older boyfriends and, mm-hmm. and things like that are, are, are red flags for us. Goodness. Right. Okay. So tell me, if, if if I suspect trafficking going on in my neighborhood, how dangerous is it for the trafficked person for me to maybe approach them or try to help them? Because obviously you don't want to make the situation worse. So what's the best thing that we can do in our community if we suspect trafficking? Mm-hmm. Well, I would say to trust your instincts when you're looking beneath the surface now that you know that that is a possibility. But um, unless you really have a, a relationship with that that uh, possible victim, I would not advise approaching them. Uh, they That could cause harm to you or, or to the victim. Mm-hmm. I would just gather as much information as you can from a distance. Um, mm-hmm. 
And then if it's an emergency, call 911. Um, otherwise, if you're in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, there's a hotline number that you can call, and I'll give that to you. Okay. Um, it's with Mosaic Family Services in Dallas. It's 214-823-1911. Okay. And they'll talk that through with you, um, and it's anonymous 24-7. And then if you also want to call the National Human Traffic- Trafficking Resource Center, that's mm-hmm. another a great place. It's run by Polaris Project, and it's national. It's 1-888-3737-8800. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I've also noticed on the inside of my restroom at um, – the church that I go to, they have a sign up saying, are you being, you know, in tr- are you in trouble? Are you being abused? And they have that phone number. And I think that's a really good place to put it because a lot of times it is women mm-hmm. and it's inside the women's restroom and it's actually inside one of the, um, you know, sort of cubicles. So, um, you know, yeah, that, that so I've great. noticed, that's- yeah. Mm-hmm. I've noticed that kind of thing um, going um, going up now. So there is more awareness. All right. So because we don't want to make we don't want to make it worse by approaching them, but we you know we want to be aware that this might be happening. It's like I suppose reporting any kind of abuse. You know, you've just got to you can do it anonymously and um, you can do it safely. And I would encourage any of my listeners who are really interested in this to go on to the Catholic Charities dot org, and they have a whole page on victims of trafficking and the program that they are um, operating over there. Is there one in Dallas or is it really just in Fort Worth? The Catholic Charities Fort Worth is just uh, in in Fort Worth. However, the task force we're a part of has um, agencies in Dallas that work with trafficking as well. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, Kristen, thank you so much for joining us today. That that has been a topic that um, was very new and surprising for us, something that we think only happens beyond our shores. Um, I've been talking to Kristen Deal. She works at Catholic Charities Fort Worth and is a case manager and outreach worker specifically helping refugees and victims of trafficking. Uh, Kristen has a passion, which I'm sure you heard, for combating injustice and giving hope and voice to the vulnerable people in her community. And she gave us some valuable insights into a life that we imagine happens only in the underprivileged areas of the third world, not in our backyard. And some ways on how we can recognize and maybe help members in our community who um, might be being victims, might be victims of trafficking. Kristen, thank you so much for joining me. I enjoyed our conversation and I wish you blessings on your work. Bravo for doing such wonderful, wonderful work. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Bye. Now for something light, okay? So we're going to draw, we're going to step away from human trafficking for a moment. And please, I'm going to have my links links to um, the the charity on my page. So go visit that. Um, I was off to New York last week with my star barista, who now nannies. So she's a now a star nanny. Very spur of the moment excursion that ended up lasting for three days because we couldn't get a flight back over the weekend. Ho-hum. All the money we saved on using miles were eaten up in the hotel room, and we could have stayed locked up in our hotel for the weekend, especially as it was freezing cold and our bed was comfortable and there was free coffee and warm cookies in the lobby, but we decided to sightsee. Thank goodness, I can hear you saying, I'm not just a pretty face. We 
had to make the most of our weekend away together because Dorts and I are great travelling companions, except when she brings her best friend, the iPhone, along. Yep, I hear you groaning too, and I can't ban it. Why? Why? Do I feel as though I'm encroaching on her freedom of choice, or is she just being rude? But the intrusive iPhone did prove its worth and its niftiness, as she was able to use it as a GPS while we were out gallivanting, and as a resource for show tickets and things to do, so I didn't grab too much. Plus, of course, she wanted to keep her siblings and parental units still at home, up to date, and fully informed on the fabulous Big Apple experience we were enjoying, as we were enjoying it. For a little dancer thing, she sure can't eat a lot. She was always hungry. On the first afternoon, we haunted some pizza place and a hot dog stand before having dinner at the best Italian restaurant in town. Have you ever had a tomato mousse? Hmm. Heavenly fare served with a basket of bread as a pre-appetizer appetizer and replenished once, although we were offered twice, but we didn't want to appear greedy. The spinach souffle appetizer was divine, and the pasta entree was plenteous and satisfying. We had no room for dessert, but we aspired at Dunkin' Donuts 24-7. What was I thinking? Dunkin' Donuts, for goodness sake. And we snagged some munchies for breakfast. We managed to steer clear of pizza the next day, but ate fries and chips and M&Ms, or at least she did. We were off to Little Italy for dinner later on, and of all the choices we could have made along the streets where there were waiters outside luring us inside with promises of mouth-watering food, we made the wrong one. Our appetizer was supposed to be deep-fried mozzarella, and it probably was, and it looked for all the world like a thick French toast sandwich drowning in a cheesy anchovy sauce, and it tasted like fishy tofu. We both voted it disgusting and put it on the chopping block. I told the waiter it wasn't what we expected, and I sent it back with an order of the antipasta instead, which had been sitting out for too long, evidenced by the piece of mozzarella perched on a slice of tomato center stage, sporting a dried crust. So I put my coat on, hailed the waiter, and told him, cancel the chicken order, the entree. We had no idea what that was going to end up tasting like, and we left. And it cost me a lot of money to pay for an, uh, for appetizers that I didn't even eat. But we ended up at the sports bar adjoining our hotel, and um, Dort's went ahead and had pulled pork sliders, and I had a dessert. Didn't want any more. Didn't want to try any more savory stuff. And the following day, I managed to get her through the morning with brunch at the Carnegie Deli. It was a Reuben, which we split and then left half of, half the half, because the portions were enormous. And you know, they just throw the food away. I can't imagine not wanting to be more careful when piling food destined for the bin on plates heading out to customers. Not my restaurant, though, so I can't really make a judgment. Well, I can make a judgment, but I can't do anything about it. Later in the afternoon, we had coffee and chocolate mousse at Serendipity over at Central Park. And I was done with eating, but intrepid Dorts ventured out in the evening for a slice of pizza near the hotel and came back empty-handed because it was cash only and she didn't have the dollar twenty-five in her purse. Her mouth was watering and she begged the fellow behind the counter to let her have it for free. But of course he refused, even though he'd had to heat it up, especially and everything. And he most likely threw it away once the door hit her butt. But oh well. On the way home on Monday, she had to make do with a pretzel dog at the airport and a bag of bagel bites. And she raided the fridge as soon as we got home. And yes, I am talking about New York City and the fun we had, not just the food we ate. Shall I tell you what we did? Well, we walked a lot. It was freezing. I'd already said that, and I missed my long johns. One day, which was 
at the, in the afternoon. On day one, which was in the afternoon, we went up the Empire State Building. We spent more time lining up in the queues waiting for the elevators than we did walking around the observation tower. But it was great. We got some wonderful pictures. And then the following morning, we decided to go to Ground Zero. And it really didn't look that different from when we went 11 years ago in that the actual site was still cordoned off, but there were five beautiful new glass buildings, two of them still under construction that have been erected. Those were quite impressive. And then what did we do? We rode the subway. My blue-eyed cowboy said he would never ride the subway in New York, but we did. And uh, we had fun. It was a lot rougher than London, filthy and not very deep underground, or at least not on the lines that we rode. And we saw buskers, we saw drummers, and we heard a cappello singers on the platform selling their CD for free with a $10 donation. And um, the signage wasn't very good. Um, We didn't know whether we could get from the A line to the D line without having looked first, you know, because once you're on the train, forget it. And I'm right out of time. I have just got to go. So I've enjoyed my hour. And what are we doing? Well, it's the beginning of Holy Week this Sunday, Palm Sunday. So I'm going to try and take it easy before we thrust into the final week before the wedding. I'll be back with a contemplative show for you, same time, same place, next Friday, which is Good Friday and a day of fasting and abstinence. I need to remind my daughter of that. Without further ado, I'll say thanks to my handsome husband who believes in love at first sight, our four children who are the result of that belief, the hardworking staff at Toginet Radio, my guest this week, Kristen Deal, and you, my faithful listeners, um, better stay tuned for the whole of Toginet's lineup. Take care and be safe. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Do, 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 do. Thank you for joining us for The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian Mitchell.